exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now, tonight's Exposure. Welcome to Impact Exposure. We have a very exciting lineup for you tonight. But before we get to our guests, I want to let you know about the news today. In world news today, more than one million people have taken to the streets of France in the sixth National Day of Action Against Planned Pension Reforms, according to the BBC. Strikes have hit transport and education. 4,000 gas stations gas stations have run dry, and police have clashed with protesters in several cities. Shops were looted in Lyon, and cars were set on fire in, in Paris suburbs. President Nicolas Sarkozy appealed for calm, but insisted he would press ahead with plans to raise the retirement age. In national news, more than 17,000 doctors and other health care providers have taken money from several major drug companies to talk to other doctors about their products, according to Reuters. Nearly 400 of the doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and other professionals took in more than $100,000 in 2009 and 2010, according to the investigation released today. The report said far more doctors are likely to have taken such payments. The report is based on information from seven drug, drug makers. In Michigan news, the King of Sweden will award Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm one of his country's highest awards, according to the Associated Press. King Carl XVI Gustav on Thursday will present Granholm with Sweden's Order of the Polar Star. It's for her work fostering relations between Michigan and Sweden to promote clean energy. And on exposure tonight, uh, the East Lansing Film Festival will be going on this week, starting tomorrow. And the Academy, uh, the Academy Award-winning documentary, Man on Wire, will be shown. The executive producer, Andrea Medich, will call in to talk about that film. Also on the show, uh, Michiganders will vote for the next governor on November 2nd. We will air an interview that uh, City Pulse, which is featured on Wednesdays here on The Impact. It's from 7 to 8. Um, Kyle Malin of City Pulse uh, interviewed gubernatorial candidate Verge Bernero last month, and so we will be airing that interview with uh, Verge Bernero. Um, and also on the show, MSU's Department of Theater is performing the musical Evil Dead. MSU alum Betsy Baker played the character Linda in the original cult horror film. She's in East Lansing this week and will be visiting us on the show. But first, again, as I said, the East Lansing Film Festival starts tomorrow and runs until October 28th. MSU student Nick Baker, who is the co-producer and director, is in the studio to talk about his documentary, Publicly Defended, which will be shown at the festival this week. Welcome to the show, Nick Baker. Thank you very much, Emily. So talk about this, this film that you've, you've produced. Well, the film is, a, is the culmination of 13 weeks of work between myself and six other producers, student producers for a class in the College of Communication Arts and Sciences. Uh, the film itself is actually about the Michigan's fight for public defender reform and the fact that there's a need for... Reform, obviously, but there's there's a deeper need for uh, allocation and rules set forth by the state to redo how the Sixth Amendment is delivered in the state of Michigan. And what is the Sixth Amendment for those that may not know? Uh, the Sixth Amendment is the right um, is that right for counsel that uh, if you can't afford an attorney, that one will be provided for you. But what the Constitution doesn't say is how states are required to do that, and that that. That amendment was upheld by Gideon versus Wainwright back in the 60s, 
era. And what is the specific case that you explore in your film? Uh, there's, there's two specific cases that we explore, but the major one is the case of the city of Detroit versus Harold Walter, the state of Michigan versus, excuse me, the state of Michigan versus Eddie Joe Lloyd. Um, and Eddie Joe Lloyd back in the 80s was convicted of murdering a young Detroit female during the time of many rapes that were going on in the city. And he was falsely accused um, of raping this, this female while he was in a mental, mental institution in the city of Detroit. Um, in the film, I don't want to give away too much of the film and what exactly happened there, but that's pretty much, and it goes on to tell his story, what happened, but it's told through his sister because of some unfortunate things that happened to him after his release. His sister is really the only one that could tell the story of what happened to him. And uh, we are going to play an excerpt from uh, your film. This is, this is the trailer, um, audio from the trailer, uh, publicly defended. They did this. You know, they did it. And the day of me being released, it was just like flipping a quarter. Oh, well. It's an indictment of the leadership of the state. If you're not going to pay somebody fairly, who's going to want to do the work? Biggest fear is the attorneys one day saying, you know what, judge, we just can't do it anymore. The oversight is somebody goes to prison and, and throws away 15 years of their life. The justice system doesn't work, they're at risk. I paid taxes and they were supposed to protect me and they did. I would do everything possible to keep them out the hands of a public defender. And that is the trailer for Nick Baker's film called uh, Publicly Defended, which will be, um, which will air, or not, I shouldn't say air, which will be screened at the East Lansing Film Festival this weekend. Do you know what day that was, that is again? It's going to be this Saturday. This Saturday. And also, it'll also air on WKER-TV on October 20th, so tomorrow at 10.30 p.m. Uh, so, Nick Baker, tell me, why did you decide to pursue this story? Well, I've always had a dream ever since I was in high school, I guess. The main reason why I went into media was to have an impact on people's lives. Um, to be able to tell other people about what's going on in the world, to kind of give a human feeling to things. Um, and I like the human stories. And the other stories that were being tossed around in class that other groups were working on really just didn't do it for me. So um, myself and Stephanie Sparks really clung on to this project because we had heard about another group attempting it in previous years. And... Uh, we met with one of the one of the spokespersons for the Michigan Campaign for Justice, who helped us with this whole project, getting contacts and everything. And um, within half an hour of meeting or talking with her for half an hour, you know, we really saw that there was there was a su sufficient amount of material for us to cover, and they already had a lot of this stuff set up for us. And all we really had to do is run. So in 13 weeks, we managed to come up with a 30-minute doc, which is actually very surprising. Yeah, 13 weeks does not seem like enough time to put together a documentary. Um, so you talk about wanting to make impact um, on people's lives. Talk about, I mean, have you received feedback yet about the film and the impact that it possibly can make? Because I feel like it's a pretty important subject that not a lot of people think about. Um, but do you think that documentaries can be able to influence change, even you know, when it comes to, you know, our state's government. Um, I know that the Michigan Campaign for Justice, we gave them a lot of copies of the film so that they could pass it out to their people. 
And I've heard some feedback from them and some of their constituents and some of the judges that we've talked to. And the main responses that I've been getting is just a thank you. You know, thank you for doing this. Thank you for giving us a platform to step off of so that, you know, we don't have to tell a story every time. They can actually see the people involved in the process. Um, as far as documentaries having an impact on people's life and getting people to change, I really wish it was more so. I think it's really hard. The people that really need to see it are the people that don't always have access to watching these films. And those are the people that can really help change the way governments run in the state and on a national basis. Um, and it was interesting talking to, to um, Representative Mark Meadows in the film. And then just his, his view of the whole world and how the state governments run and this whole mess with financial stuff and financial reform and the possibility that if a measure like this isn't passed or reform isn't passed, that the state could actually... Um, be sued by the Department of Justice. And most papers and stuff don't cover it because it's not a pretty issue. It's not like, it's not a story that you can tell in like a one page. It's like a book, essentially. And, and I mean, you generally described what the film's about, but what were some of the big issues that really struck you while you were putting together this film, Publicly Defended? Uh, the major one is that, depending on where you get arrested in the state, if you're indigent or you can't afford an attorney, Unless you have a map of saying what type of attorney is going to be provided to you, you don't know what type of attorney you're going to get depending on what county you're in. There's no system stating that what each county has to do. So you could have uh, a public defender in Wayne County on a contract system, a public defender in Genesee County on a different system. You could have a list of public defenders. You could have a list of attorneys that are just attorneys. Or you could also have a list of attorneys that are just straight out of law school and they don't have any other jobs. So they're the cheapest ones for the county to pay for. But you don't know what you're getting, and there's this, in Wayne County especially, there's a, they don't have a lot of money as it is. So those attorneys are getting paid less and less. So those attorneys have to take more and more cases on to be able to afford things. So then you're taking more cases, you have less time to spend with your clients. And there's no regulation there. Well, in the studio is Nick Baker. He's an MSU student. He's a co-producer and director of the documentary Publicly Defended, which will air on WKAR-TV tomorrow at 10.30 uh, p.m. It'll also air this weekend at the East Lansing Film Festival. More information about the East Lansing Film Festival can be found at ELFF.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Nick. Thank you for having me on. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the phone is Andrea Medich. She's the executive producer of Man on a Wire, an Academy Award-winning documentary, which will be shown at the East Lansing Film Festival this weekend. Welcome to the show, Andrea Medich. It's very nice to be here. So can you tell us a little bit about this film? Well, Man on Wire is based on the story of Philippe Petit, who was the man who walked between the World Trade Center towers in the early 70s. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it's, and it's, it's really a heist film. It's really the story of how he and his friends and colleagues put this extraordinary feet together and then pulled it off just as the World Trade Center towers were being finished. The buildings hadn't quite been completed yet, so they were able to get all the equipment that they needed, the wire that they needed, and to get it up into the towers and to perform this extraordinary and in many ways poetic uh, feat that would, uh, frankly, couldn't possibly happen again. And I uh, I heard about Man on a Wire or Men on Wire a few years ago, and um, I remember listening to um, the NPR program Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, and um, Philip Philippe Petit was actually on the show, and he was seemed like such an interesting character. Um, I mean, to just I mean him him as a as just talking in about about himself um, on this show, but to think about to. To tightrope, I guess, across the the twin towers, which are hundreds of feet up in the air, and I think two hundred feet between them, it's yes. just it's just yes. an amazing feat. Yeah, it's 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 a quarter of a mile off the ground. It's and he walked without a net. He walked without a clip rope. He walked without any kind of safety net of any of, at all, um, and. Most of us, I think, one of the wonder interesting things about the film is that there are so there there are so few people in the world like Philippe, and he is an extraordinary character. He is um, still just as dashing and 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 wild and mercurial and magical and as much of a trickster as he has ever been. Um, but the people we can identify with to a certain extent in the film are the people who help him do it. Because mm-hmm. we can all perhaps see ourselves helping a charismatic and uh, sort of semi-mad artist accomplish some great goal. We can't necessarily see ourselves walking out on that wire, which he did, and which he did, he crossed eight times. Wow. He actually, he actually lay down on the wire at one point. So it was quite a quite a magical moment. That that is amazing. Was that all in one day that he crossed eight times? It was it was all done at once. It was all done on the morning. They had to be set up to walk um, as the sun came up because of the wind. Um, as the, as the sun gets higher, it, it it gets windier. The humidity gets higher. All of which, as Philippe talks about in in the film, affects his wire. And um, and also they knew they would be arrested immediately. So, um, so in fact, it was all in about forty-five minutes. So, I understand that um, that a lot. When I was watching the trailer, it said that this whole ordeal was a crime, and and to try to not only do the feat of walking a tightrope or a wire between the twin towers, but to actually organize it so he can actually do it to get through security in order to do it was was a feat within itself. Part of I think what the film touches on without being explicit is how much the country has changed because of 
course, it would be impossible today. There, there is too much security. But then we were a much less um, we were much less frightened country, and we did not have the kind of security then that we do now. So they actually had an inside man, um, and they figured out ways to get into the building. That was part of the that was part of the planning. And what they needed to wear, what they needed to take, how they needed to... They had a, a couple of tons of wire that they had to get up, uh, up into the top of the top of the World Trade Center towers. Um, so they had to figure it all out. So the film, in part, one of the strands of the film, is really following the planning, which took place over a number of years. Um, the planning, the casing of it, um, his practicing to the exact length of that wire, figuring out how do you, how do you get a wire from one of those buildings to the other building, and I won't reveal. You'll have to go see the the film to to find out how they solve that problem. But uh, but they were able to get up. But they knew they knew they would be arrested, and indeed it was illegal. But at the time, the consequences were not the same as they would be today. And, and I should remind our listeners, I'm talking on the phone with Andrea Medich. She's the executive producer of Man on a Wire, which is an, an Academy Award-winning documentary, which will be shown this weekend at the East Lansing Film Festival. Now, this is interesting that you mentioned that a part of what this film is about is, is how... As you said, the the country has changed, and I find that ironic that that it's about a man who's crossing the Twin Towers on a rope. The fact that it's the Twin Towers, which is a huge factor into why the country may have changed. Indeed, indeed. And, and we, the filmmaker and producer, um, and all of us who were involved in the film, were very um, alert to the fact that we all bring so much pain to the idea of the World Trade Center Towers. And in fact, none of us feel that the film could have been made um, any earlier because it's difficult for people to look at the towers. But again, what I think Man on Wire has been able to do is really reclaim the towers for another purpose. It's almost like after a death, the grieving period, where you can actually remember their glory because you see the tower one of the other threads in the film is that you see the towers being built so we remember an earlier time and we see what they were like and Philippe at the time actually the towers were dis- were disliked intensely at the time that they were being built and people thought they were an eyesore and 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 Philippe by walking across the the wire between the towers brought a certain magic to them and brought attention to them in a different way and caused New Yorkers and many people in the country to fall in love with the towers. And in some ways, Man on Wire allows us to look at the towers again in a, different, in a new way and to remember them and to glory in them. So I should mention to to our listeners that you are not only the executive producer of of this documentary, Man on Wire, but you're also an advisor of the Film and Media Arts Initiative for MSU's College of Communication Arts and Sciences. Mm-hmm. I am the um, I'm I'm currently an informal ad- advisor. Um, the college has been working toward the idea of a center that would combine different media uh, to. Uh, to create the kind of stories that are required. So you look at the story as the central concept, and then 
determine how you create bring creative teams together from different media to tell those stories. So the, the college is really uh, working toward, I think, a very exciting goal, and, and uh, I think are well on the way toward toward finding a, a, a new path for that kind of exploration. They've got a, there's a lot of creative people in the communications department there. And, and so, what do you, what is the what is the main goal of of this project? Is it to get more people in the film industry, or? Well, I think it's a combination of things, and I, and I, I don't want to speak for the College of Communications at, at this point, but but it really is to galvanize the the many creative departments within the College of Communications. There, there's a lot of there's work on documentary. There's uh, there's gaming, there's online, there's there's a, a whole array of people working in the creative areas, and how do you cross fertilize across those uh, across those different disciplines and to tell the best stories possible? So I think that's fundamentally the goal, but it's also to provide a creative nexus for the college as well. And how did you get in, uh, involved in this MSU initiative? Well, I. I um, I actually was in East Lansing to um, to introduce a, another film that I executive produced by Werner Herzog called Encounters at the End of the World, which was actually nominated for an Academy Award the same year that Man on Wire won, which was in 2009, and um, had some very exciting conversations with people in the College of Communications, and and so I, I came on as, a, as, an, as an informal advisor um, at that time. And I have to tell you, I actually have actually seen that film. My uh, my mom took my younger brother to to see the screening at MSU. I think it was two or three years ago, mm-hmm. and um, he he got it for Christmas. And I remember driving down to Colorado for the for the family Christmas trip and, and watching that at, at two in the morning. And there are some very very interesting characters in that film. Again, I I feel like there's a similar theme as with Man on Wire. You have this character um, Philippe Petit, who's very interesting, and then in Encounters of the end of the world you have these people that go to what is it the north or south pole and they live there the entire year and just the type of people that live there are so so interesting exactly exactly for some reason in my recent career with films because i also worked on something called grizzly man i i seem to have gravitated toward films with with extraordinary artistic and mad people at the middle of them so <laughs> so uh, which, which is certainly part of what Man on Wire uh, it gets across. Is, and I, I think another thing that, that in some of the classes that I um, uh, talked uh, to in the College of Communications about Man on Wire, I think one of the things that's most interesting to me is how younger students, uh, younger people respond to Man on Wire now because it sounds like a history story, but it's really not a history story. It really is a story about dreaming and about following your dream um, and 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 pursuing something that no one else thinks you can do, and there was really more, I think, room for that in the early '70s than there is now. It's it. We live in a very different time. Well, on the phone is uh, Andrea Medic. She is the executive producer of Men and Wire, an Academy Award-winning documentary, which will be shown at the East Lansing Film Festival this weekend. More information can be found at elff.com. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some... 
just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. Michiganders will vote for the next governor on November 2nd. Up next is an interview with Kyle Malin of City Pulse on Impact Exposure, which airs on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. He interviewed Democratic gubernatorial candidate Verge Bernero last month, and here is the interview. Most favorite politician in Lansing, and hopefully, uh, maybe the uh, the next popular governor of the state of Michigan, Verge Bonero. Thanks for joining us on the program. My pleasure. Good to be with you, Kyle. All right. Well, uh, we've started off now on the general election. The primary is behind us, and uh, the thing that I keep hearing from Democrats is. This race is unwinnable. Verge Bonero, he, he was able to get it past the primary, but Rick Snyder's too tough. They have too much money. And uh, it's only going to be a matter of time before the Democrats decide to pour their money into the state house races, justice of the Supreme Court, other races, and leave Verge by the wayside. How concerned are you that you're going to get left in the dust? Oh, not very, Kyle, not very. Uh, you know, I've heard that uh, when I first started running, people said, even friends of mine said, why would you want to win, uh, run? Uh, it's going to be a great year for Republicans. The state's in such terrible shape. You know, even even to win would be would be you know winning a disaster because because the state is so far off. You know, just just to stay where you are, you got a good job, and I do have a good job as mayor of Lansing. I'm and, and I'm I love my job as mayor, but as mayor of Lansing, I feel a little bit like the guy in the engine room of a big ship. No matter how hard, no matter how much fuel I put on the fire, no matter no matter how hard I work, I can't affect the the. Uh, you know the direction of the ship, and so I'm asking people's help to get me uh, above, get my get get my, get up on deck, and get my hands on the wheel to turn the state around. I'm committed to that. Uh, you know, I believe this is a tough time in Michigan, and people are hurting all around the state, and that's what I see. Uh, I'm driven. You know, uh, I think we can get this done. I believe I'm going to win the race. And so, you know, if I thought that they were right, I guess I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Uh, there's always people against you. I mean, there's always people that have a defeatist attitude. I don't have that. I'm more of an optimist. I think, you you know, you people create their fortunes and, and call it fate. Uh, I think we can change what's what's i don't believe that the die is cast and so i think if we work hard uh, i think if we have the right message the right messenger i think the person with the plan and the passion to move michigan forward will be the person who wins i i, I think it might be me verge i was talking with a friend the other day who was talking to me about his perceptions of the gubernatorial race he said verge Bonero, who is this verge Bonero? he lives out in the west side of the state has never really heard of you before and that's a theme that i'm also hearing out state how do you get people to learn about verge Bonero when you don't have a lot of money in the well, who's Rick Snyder? What does he stand for? I've, I, I just talked to a couple people today. I said, you know what? I don't even know Rick Snyder. I don't know what, you know, what he stands for, what he's really going to do. Uh, he's an empty vessel to a lot of folks. 
uh, he's, he ran as a moderate, but really he wasn't fly-specked that, that much in the campaign. He spent $6 million of his own money. Uh, he's quite wealthy, apparently. But, you know, he w- wasn't really scrutinized. He wasn't attacked in the campaign. Uh, and he, he, he kind of snuck by through the primary. So uh, I think you, in, in some respects, have two relative unknowns in terms of, you know, their statewide name appeal. Uh, and and what they're really known now. I'm known in Mid Michigan in Lansing, and I'm proud of the job I've done uh, as mayor of Lansing and in the legislature. So you know that's what campaigns are for, Kyle. I don't get all worked up about it. The election's November second. Mm-hmm. You know the poll that means the most is the poll on November second. That's open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Yep. We're going to have a lot of time between now and then to get our message out. I'm confident I'll get my message out. And when people really look at Virgil Bernero up against Rick Snyder, uh, I think that we'll compare quite favorably and. We'll be victorious. How much money do you think you're going to need to beat Rick Snyder, who, by all accounts, has really unlimited resources to pull, pull into this? Well, you know, this is a fascination that you guys in the media have. Well, only because you've got to buy TV time. That's well, the only reason why. again, it's a fascination you have. I don't. You know, you guys asked me this, and Kyle, and I don't mean to, you know, put you all in the same class with the other journalists, because you were the one uh, voice that said, hey, don't count Verge out. You know, uh, when I heard when I heard various panels, Kyle was always there saying, "Wait a minute, you know, Verge, you know, Verge uh, could could just do, do this." But but there is a fascination by the media on the money, the money in the polls, the money in the polls, and yeah. I would just say, get off it, get off it. It's because, numbers, it's because, tangible, because it's you, easy. You, you, the media used that against me in the primary, and I proved the bulk of them wrong. Now you, Kyle, were on the right side of that. So don't get caught. Don't get caught up with this. Look, he's a millionaire. He's got a ton of money. We know that. It's not just about the money. Dick DeVos outspent Jennifer Granholm two to one and lost. Yeah. So look, we'll raise the money we need to raise. I'm not obsessed with it. We'll raise the money we need to raise, and it'll come in smaller increments. It's not. Gonna, I'm not going to reach into my pocket like Rick Snyder. I'm going to. You know, I've got increments of ten dollars, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars from people all over the state who go online at voteverge.com and give. And I can show you those amounts. And I can show you in some cases these are from people who are unemployed. They've got no job, and they're giving. They're 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 making a sacrificial donation to this campaign because they believe we. We've got to put Michigan back to work. They believe that government needs to work for regular people. They believe the economy needs to work for regular people, that opportunity needs to be not just for the people at the top, not just for Wall Street, but for Main Street. That's what we're fighting for, and we'll get the resources we need to get that message out. There's more of us than there is of them. It's called people power, Kyle. The, the way we're going to overcome his money is with people power. All right. Well, and one of the other arguments that I heard, and, and not to... Go too much on the attack here, you. But I listened to Mike uh, Rogers today. He's an old friend of yours back in the Albion days, I believe. And uh, Adrian, you know why do I always get those two confused? <laughs> Thanks for correcting common, me, though. Common thing. Yeah, I know. Anyway, uh, old friend of yours said that he's he's hesitant about voting for you. For well, for one, you're a Democrat; he's a Republican. But for second, uh, the unions. He said that you're beholden to the unions because they poured a lot of money into your primary. Well, this is something that they're going to try to tag me with, you know, uh, and if you got to be tagged with something, you know, I guess it could be a lot worse. Uh, so the unions have backed me. I'm, I'm delighted to have the union support. I'm delighted to have the support of the Lansing Regional Chamber of Commerce. I'm delighted to have the support of a lot of business people who know me, who have worked with me, because they know as mayor that I've been even-handed, that I'm a Democrat who understands that there is no labor without business. But the business that I'm interested in investing in, Kyle, 
is Main Street business, not Wall Street, because Wall Street doesn't give a darn about what happens on Main Street. They have written us off and left us for dead. They've redlined Michigan. I care about Michigan businesses because that's where jobs are created, with small businesses. And I have a track record of getting the job done in Lansing. We've diversified our economy. We've attracted new jobs and new investments. We're leading the state. We're among the two leading cities in the state for manufacturing rebounding in Lansing. We've had manufacturing growth and manufacturing every month this year. And that's because of people and policies that I've put in place in in Lansing to grow jobs. And we can do it in the state of Michigan. My opponent, Rick Snyder, believes that manufacturing is a thing of the past. He believes that Mexico or China can be our manufacturing sectors. I don't believe that. I think we've got to make something. I think we've got to put the P in GDP, gross domestic product. It matters. It's what made this state great. It's what made America great. That's what I'm fighting for. And these are American ideas. So I don't believe that it's just Democrat or Republican, just union or non-union. I don't get into that kind of division. I have brought people together and got the job done in Lansing, and I can do it for the state of Michigan. Does Rick Snyder equal Wall Street? You said it. No, no, I'm asking you. I mean, does does Rick no, Snyder exactly equal right. Wall Street? You said it. That's exactly correct. Okay. I mean, he's a, ca- he's a venture capitalist. Look, maybe he can do, as governor, if he were to get there, maybe he can do for Michigan what he did for Gateway. What do you do oh, for oh, Gateway? that's right. Gateway's not an American company anymore. It's, it's a Taiwanese company now. So, you know, he dismembered it. He outsourced. Uh, they're not an American. Co- that says it all, okay? He's been part of the problem. That, that it's part of the Wall Street mentality that says sell it off, offshore it, outsource it, do whatever to give the shareholders the money, keep the money at the top, lay people off, step on the little people, whatever you got to do to enrich the shareholders. That's what Rick Snyder participated in. Now, I'm sorry. That's his record. That's what he's going to have to defend. My record is creating jobs, creating an environment for job growth in Michigan, for Michigan people. That's what I believe in. I believe it in my heart, in my soul, and it's how I've operated. I've gotten the job done. 6,000 new and retained jobs in the city of Lansing. Right now, we are in the hunt for an expansion at General Motors, 640 new manufacturing jobs, an investment of $200 million that I believe we'll be announcing within the next month. I've done the job. I'm doing it now. I'll put my record of job creation up against Rick Snyder's record of outsourcing any day of the week, and I look forward to the campaign. The uh, the one thing that I hear about Rick Snyder from folks outside of the capital area is that he is the outsider and he is the nerd. In a couple words, what do you want voters to know about Verge Monero? If there's just a couple words, when they think of Verge Monero, you want them to think of? Fighter for Michigan. Fighter for Michigan jobs. A guy who's delivered. Okay. All right. How do you get past this nerd thing with Rick Snyder? It's become almost like this impenetrable, lovable characteristic that he's developed that, oh, gee shucks. I mean, he's just a, a lovable nerd like all of us. Or, you know, like those people in school that we liked if we're not one ourselves. How do you get past that? Well, Kyle, if he was a lovable nerd who created jobs in Michigan and got the job done for Michigan people, I'd be lining up to vote for him. I'd be supporting him. I'm running against the guy, not because I need a job. I have a job. But the fact is, you know, he may be more lovable than me in some ways. I don't know. Uh, But 
he hasn't gotten the job done. He hasn't created Michigan jobs. I'll put my record up against his. And I believe in this environment, as tough as it is, as hard as it is right now in, uh, across the state, people are going to look at our track record. They're going to look at our track record, and they're going to look at our plan. I've got a plan, the Michigan Main Street agenda, to move Michigan forward, Michigan businesses, Michigan jobs, Main Street, to create jobs and growth here in Michigan. It's my track record, and it's my plan, whether it's the state bank or my green uh, green uh, manufacturing zones. I believe in investments in Michigan. His track record is something else. So whether you call him a nerd or me a nerd, my wife says I, you know, I'm the original nerd. That's really neither here nor there. I think it's going to be about our track record and our plan to move Michigan forward. Were you a nerd in high school? Absolutely. No, I don't uh, believe that. You were on the debate club, though, I bet. I was state champion debater. Now, if that's not nerdy, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, have you guys made any progress on the debates now that we're talking about that? Uh, I, I know you agreed to three. One gets the impression, Kyle, that he is not very serious about debating. Uh, what they want to engage in is a debate about the debates. That's what they want to do. That's what's clear. Bill Nolding, his guy, wants to talk around in circles about the debates. There's not that much to talk about. You know, they've said they'll do three. I'd like eight. But you know what? Let's get the three scheduled. So that's why we, we agreed to the three. We mm-hmm. found three that made sense. We said, fine, here's three we'll agree to. You know, we'll agree to another three on top of that. They want to debate about the size of the table, the length of the podium. I don't give a darn about that stuff. You know, let's get on with it. So they want to sit in a room and debate about this nonsense. Uh, They're trying to delay. He doesn't want to debate. He got through the primaries. I don't think he attended a single debate. A, a real debate. He skipped all the debates in the primary. I think he's trying to get away with it here. I think he's trying to duck the debates. You know, if it, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a debate duck. Mm-hmm. Well, he did do the one debate in Lansing. But, yeah, the other two he didn't participate in. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, you've got to face the music. You're, this isn't, we're not running for county commissioner here. This is governor of the state of Michigan. We ought to be debating through the next two months in every region of the state. We owe that to the public. Let them, let them shop and compare. Let them kick the tires. They're going to be stuck with this guy for the next four years, one of us. All right. Verge Bonero, the candidate for the Democrats for the gubernatorial nomination, also as our, known as our Lansing mayor. Hey, thanks for joining us today, Verge. Appreciate My it. My pleasure. Thanks, Kyle. All righty. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Saturday nights from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m., tune into the cultural vibe to hear the best in both local and national hip-hop, plus live mixing on the ones and twos. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now, back to Exposure. 
You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. And uh, coming up this weekend, the MSU Department of Theater will be performing uh, the musical Evil Dead, which will be going on October 20th through the 24th at Paysant Theater. And in the studio is Betsy Baker, who performed Linda from the, the movie Evil Dead. Welcome to the show, Betsy Baker. Thank you. Thank you, Emily, for having me. So you graduated from MSU. I did. Uh, and talk, talk about talk about your involvement at MSU while you were here. <clears throat> I was here in the 70s, so that places me in an entirely different gener- generation. I started out in the music department. I wanted to be a music therapist, and in some ways I am today, but not with a music therapy degree. I was contacted by a professor in the music department in my fresh fall freshman year, and they had said that uh, the theater department was looking for a particular role that still needed to be filled in a production of what was called Babes in Toyland, which is a musical theater production. And I hadn't thought of going into theater at all, even though I had been in theater in high school and in summer stock. But I walked over to the theater department. I actually auditioned for the role and got it. And with um, thinking about it for a long time and getting involved with the theater department, I decided to stay. I changed my major. I ended up with a theater education degree and a minor in classical music, voice. But um, had a great time while I was here. Now talk about the film Evil Dead. Evil Dead was written and produced and directed by another MSU student, Sam Raimi, uh, some of you or you may know him from his famous Spider-Man films and his other films of great mention, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, For the Love of the Game, uh, along with a bunch of others. He's also a producer, an executive producer <clears throat> for shows like Xena and Hercules and Legend of the Seeker and movies like The Grudge and Drag Me to Hell. Sam and I did not go to school together. But we were both living in Detroit after I finished school. He had made some films while a student on campus and decided to explore that avenue as a non-student. So he left and was making his own films. He contacted me along with his partner, Rob Tappert, his business partner, who was also at one time a student here at Michigan State, and asked me to audition for a scary movie they were going to make. That's how they called it. And um, I met them. I had no idea who they were. I did not know what they wanted to do. I had no idea what their implication was of, we're going to do a scary movie and we'd like you to be in it. So I met them in a public restaurant. So in case anybody saw them hurt me, I, you know, they'd be discovered and arrested immediately. And that's the honest truth. And I auditioned and got the part of Evil Dead. We filmed it in Tennessee in 1979. Uh, We finished filming in 80, and they released it in 81, and it, over the years, has become a cult classic worldwide. And what does that mean for something to be or become a cult classic? Well, I think when you have a, from what I understand, if you are in a cult or follow a cult, you follow something that you actually really adore or idolize or want more of, and so there became uh, moviegoers and, and movie lovers that either love that genre of horror or we could even go as far as to say campy, silly horror and want more of it. So they follow Sam's movies, Sam's career, uh, Bruce's Camp- Bruce Campbell's career, who was also in the movie, and um, they become 
followers or devotees of that particular genre or that particular person. So I understand that the film Evil Dead is about MSU students going off in this cabin in the middle of the nowhere. Yes. Actually, the word Michigan State or MSU was never mentioned. However, Sam and I decided, since we were both students at one time and I had graduated, he was paying homage to MSU, as was I. So Linda, the character that I portrayed, starts out in the movie wearing an MSU sweatshirt. Ah, I see. But it is assumed that the five of us are college students, probably at the same university, which would have been MSU, and we drive down to a cabin for a weekend of what was supposed to be fun and games and just getting away for the weekend. So why did you film it in Tennessee versus northern Michigan? Well, because we started filming in the end of October, and we were going through the winter, and Michigan is known, of course, for its cold winters. Tennessee is known for its mild winters, so they chose to find a cabin in the woods in Tennessee. As it turned out, it was one of the coldest winters uh, on record in Tennessee. Wow. And, and I understand that the film was controversial at first. Well, it was very controversial. There, there were some... Uh, Implications of, there were some implications of uh, sexual violence, there was implications of real violence, then there was real violence in the movie, and so it, it bordered a fine line, it had a hard time getting a rating. This was just before ratings were coming out. Believe it or not, there were <clears throat> movies that were made before ratings were ever invented, and there was, they had a difficult time getting a rating for this film. In many countries, or at least in a few countries, including England, it was banned when it first came out was not allowed to be in that country because of its violence, because of its implications, which, of course, made it that much more uh, desirable to see and to obtain. What you can't have, you want even more. Exactly. Um, so, as we know, um, MSU's Department of Theater will be performing Evil Dead the Musical this weekend at Passant Theater. When did Evil Dead become a musical, and how did that happen? Well, I, I don't really actually know the, the history of how it happened. I know it happened five, six, seven years ago that there were a, a group of people that had been talking for years about making it a musical. Evil Dead is a, uh, the movie, is a movie that's now 29, 30 years old. In some of its horror aspects and special effects, it's really outdated. It's campy. And believe it or not, Sam and Rob and Bruce also incorporated some, uh, some humor and even some slapstick and some very funny scenes uh, and some very funny gestures in the movie. Um, Sam's known for incorporating humor or implied humor into each of his movies. So I think because of its campiness and its outdatedness and that there were fans that had seen this movie more than 100 times, you know, I'm sure there were moments and evenings late at night when people were watching the movie and they'd either start singing a song or mimicking a scene or trying to rewrite the scene. And, of course, I'm sure it just evolved into, well, what if we added a song to this? Oh, my God, what if it became a musical? What if we did a dance, dance number here? And uh, what if the arms flew off here and the blood spurted out into the audience? Um, I can't say that's what the producer and the, you know, the creator thought of, but I'm going to assume that that's how it got its start. So MSU's Department of Theater performed uh, Evil Dead, the musical, last weekend as well, and you got a chance to see that. What are your reactions? I did. I snuck it. I actually am not scheduled to see it until this Wednesday, but oh. I couldn't stay away. It's, it was fabulous. It was thoroughly enjoyable. I laughed. I laughed. I laughed. And I was thoroughly entertained. 
And what was that like having been in the film and then seeing the musical at the university that you went to? You know, it, that's a really great question, and it's it's um, it's pretty cathartic because first of all, I had seen actually one of the original Off Broadway productions in New York, and there, to me, and in my opinion, there's not a lot of people that have done films whose character has then been immortalized in a theatrical production. So that's actually really uh, special. It's sentimental, it's kind of cool, it's different, you know, there aren't a lot of people that have that credit underneath their name. But to come back to the university and, and see students perform it, it, it was really very special to me. And I understand there's a splatter zone. Yeah, there's a dangerous splatter zone. For those of you who don't know, that's probably even better that you don't know. Put your get your tickets there, but splatter zone. If you uh, if you can read it between the lines, is exactly what it means. Just beware and don't wear white. Yeah, or very nice clothes. Or very nice clothes, right? <laughs> so, talk about some other things that you did. I mean, you were obviously in Evil Dead, but talk about some other performances or or films or or musicals or, or things that you did did since that point. Years ago, I was really lucky to audition and get the role. Uh, opposite Carl Malden in a CBS made-for-TV movie here that was filmed entirely in Michigan. Uh, I worked with Carl Malden and the late Rue McClanahan and the very gifted and talented John Malkovich. And it was called Word of Honor. It was filmed entirely in Michigan. Um, it's still being played in syndication today, so it clearly held up to its strength. Um, I did Word of Honor. I have been in the film called Brutal Massacre, which is actually a mockumentary of uh, horror films being made. I just finished a film last year called 2084. It's about a worldwide West Nile virus that uh, has potentially or supposedly has trapped everybody in their homes or their apartments or places of work for years. And food and water is rationed by the government and... Um, given delivered weekly through vents through air vents and as you can probably guess at some point during the movie the lights go on and uh... in some of our brains that haven't already been attacked by the west Nile virus and said wait a minute are you sure everybody's staying in their apartments and their buildings all the time so it's a psychological thriller that's due out next year so I, it seems to me that based on this past movie, they said you kind of go for these movies with kind of these really, it's intense and it's it's thrilling. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess I just like that. I guess like portraying a different character, something that I probably, hopefully, wouldn't do in real life. Um, I like to play off the norm. And you've also been involved in musicals as well as doing voiceovers as well. That's true. That's true. I did four months of The Music Man years ago. I was uh, on a, a tour, a national tour, a short tour, but a national tour of Barbary Coast with Kay Ballard and Eddie Bracken. And I just did a show last year in L.A. called Franklin and Jefferson, Sex and Love in the American Revolution. So you grew up in Michigan. I did. I grew up in the southwest corner in St. Joseph. And you were mentioning that that you were in movies that were shot in Michigan. Are do you, are you seeing a lot of that now? Are you getting involved in with this Michigan film tax incentive? Getting involved with a lot of the movies that are now being filmed in Michigan. Well, I'd like to be more involved. I actually, my home, my family, and <clears throat> where I live and work now is in California. 
to the credit of the people living and working in Michigan, they are grabbing and absorbing their resources from here, which is, uh, which is great. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. It has its challenges. Uh, it's going to continue to have its challenges, but it's growing and it's thriving and it's bringing business and energy to the state of Michigan, which I think is fabulous. Um, I am a huge fan of Michigan. I love the state of Michigan. I at times wish I could live here again, and it's not entirely out of the question in the future. And I think <clears throat> that the film business here in, in uh, Michigan, the film business outside of Michigan has really tried to bring in new energy to the state, which I think is great. So, so in general, you, you enjoy Michigan's film industry. And, and do you think that Michigan is, is really where you got your start um, with, with your success in, in films? Oh, absolutely. After I left uh, Michigan State when I graduated, I actually did a small, uh, meaning short-term, a four- to six-month um, singing vocal performance job in Miami Beach, Florida, which was great and wonderful. But I returned to Michigan, and I actually, though I had never lived in Detroit, I moved to Detroit because I had heard, um, because it was fact, that there were commercials being made there and there was some, some films being shot there, but a lot of industrial films. And I thought that, that would be a great training ground because I had gotten some, so much theatrical and live stage uh, experience here at MSU. But at the time, I had not taken any classes in communications or even film and TV here. And I moved to Detroit for that express purpose, and I was able to learn a lot. Uh, industrial films, training films gave me the, the experience and a lot of the training that I needed, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And I was able to, you know, glean from that and, and really work on my craft. And I, I loved that experience and had a wonderful time while I was here. So, Betsy Baker, what have you been doing at MSU since you've been here for the past week or so? Well, I was fortunate enough to uh, be asked by not only the College of Arts and Letters, but by the theater department. So I was able to uh, attend the Distinguished Alumni Awards Banquet last week, which was phenomenal. It was breathtaking. And uh, then, of course, I was able to see Michigan State Womp, Illinois, last weekend on a beautiful Saturday, which was a lot of fun. And I've been speaking at different classes throughout the last couple of days and will continue to do so this week. Uh, tonight I'm also teaching a master class uh, at Snyder Phillips, um, acting for the camera. So I've been going back and forth between different buildings and teaching and speaking and lecturing, and it's, it's been great. And what type of things will you tell students about? Have you been telling students about? Well, I've been telling them to enjoy immensely their time as a student. I know uh, I've been a student. I have children who are college students or have been college students and a lot of times you can't wait to get out of college or you don't like college. You don't like this class. It, you know, college is one of the best things that can ever happen to you in life. And uh, so I, I've just try. I've been trying to encourage the students that I've been speaking to to grasp and grab on to everything they can while they're here in all aspects, just not their academics, but in the social aspects. Have fun while you're in college. Grab all you can because it goes very, very fast. And, you know, there's a cliche that a lot of us older adults say college is really wasted on the youth because there's a lot of things that we'd like to come back and um, redo or do again or grab even more that um, we didn't take advantage of. 
And finally, because you've been involved in the film industry, I'm, I'm curious, what advice do you have for students or people aspiring to be involved in the film industry? Well, it's a whole different it's a whole different situation now than it was when I was in college and left. You know, you have the internet. You have such an amazing source of places that you can look into and research and go and find out information with within a moment. Um, so use those first of all. Use those sources and use your skills there. Um, do as much as you can. Audition. Look for work. Uh, explore, travel, just grab all you can. Grab all you can and take each experience as a life lesson. And, uh, you know, I, I truly believe things will come to you. If you work at it, you try hard, you believe in yourself. That's really, really important. I think this is an, also an age and a new generation of instant gratification with everything that's at your fingertips immediately. But I personally believe, and I said this the other day, and it's a belief that mm -hmm. I have in my life, I believe that instant gratification takes a long, long time. But when you achieve that instant gratification, you know it, you feel it, you've worked hard for it, and it's an even better feeling than getting it instantly. Well, in the studio is Betsy Baker. She played Linda in uh, the original cult horror classic Evil Dead. Evil Dead will be performed by MSU's Department of Theater this weekend, October 20th to the 24th at Passant Theater. Thank you so much for joining us today, Betsy Baker. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact. I'm Colleen Burkhar for the Michigan Storytelling Segment. This excerpt is from my book, Michigan Curiosities, and it's entitled, Oh, How I Hate Ohio State. The rivalry between alumni of Michigan State University and the University of Michigan has never been a laughing matter for diehard fans. Either you bleed green or you're true blue through and through, and you'll do almost anything to prove your devotion. In the 1970s, as chairman of the Michigan State Highway Department, U of M grad Peter Fletcher was taking a lot of heat for granting permission to have the Mackinac Bridge repainted green and white. What? His colleagues were appalled to learn that the team colors of the chairman's arch rival would now be boldly displayed on the world's largest suspension bridge. How could such a thing be allowed to happen? Turning a few shades of red, Fletcher decided to surreptitiously put his own stamp of loyalty into his work. While working on a new state highway map to commemorate the opening of Detroit's Renaissance Center, he persuaded a somewhat nervous cartographer, who shall remain nameless, to give birth to a few new cities that only Wolverine fans could appreciate. When the 1978 official state map was introduced, within the Ohio border were two clandestine towns named Go Blue and Beat OSU. So what? Nothing was done to falsify the Michigan map. Everything within state lines remained totally accurate. More than a million copies were distributed, although most today appear to be missing in action. One of the few remaining recently was auctioned off for $1,200. If by chance you spot an official Michigan highway map lying around from 1978 with a picture of the towers of the Renaissance Center on the cover, look closely near Bono, Ohio, just east of Toledo. Find the fictitious Go Blue on it, and you've got one of the originals, likely worth a lot of money. A cautionary note, you can't judge a map by its cover. 
be sure to carefully check out the insides. There are before Fletcher and after Fletcher versions, the latter sans the bogus Buckeye listings. Decades later, Fletcher, now president of the Credit Bureau of Ypsilanti, still gets teased about the episode, which only strengthens the pride in his Wolverine smile. I'm Colleen Burkar for the Michigan Storytelling Segment. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.